0: Hey, I just want to, I was thinking this week, and Robin and I have been talking as we're wont to do as uh, we drive around and do what we do. And um, Robin and I often have conversations about uh, the staff here at First Baptist Church and uh, what, what, what a blessing it is to serve with the people that we serve with here at First Baptist Church. And you know you you see the things that happen on Sunday morning, um, whether you're here in person or you're available online. But what you don't see uh, is all of the things that happen throughout the week, and all of the things that are going on to make this happen, and to keep the building the way that it needs to be, and to accommodate other ministries that are happening and outreach projects. Um, but you know, Aaron and, and Pastor Mike, Pastor Nathan, uh, Pastor Larry, Jean and Carol they they do a lot of work, and there are a lot of things that they do that that Accommodate and make what we do happen, Miss Linda, and uh, so I, I just think that it's appropriate for us to take a moment and thank them. Uh, so, if you wouldn't mind, I thank you guys for what you do. Um, I know they're they're loving they're loving me doing that right now, but I really do. I am I am so I'm so grateful, and um, I try to communicate to that, that to them as best I can in pers- person. But I, I want you all as a church to know that, that I very much appreciate the people that I serve with. And and I am grateful for their efforts. And so, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, I want to reinforce what what Pastor Mike said before. We we really do. We you know we hear the comments, we hear the questions and concerns about things that that need to be done moving forward. And we we as much as anyone, I promise you that there is no one in this room that wants us to reengage the things that we were doing before more than us, because if you're busy doing then you can't be busy emailing me. And so we definitely want to get back to those things, and we, we want to give those to you as, as much as we can. And so um, we, are, we are working on that. But in order for us to do the things that we know we need to do and the things that you, of course, would like to see us do, we need your assistance. Um, we, we, need, we need people. If we are going to re-engage the children's ministry, which we should and we need to do, that's going to allow us to bring some of the young families back in. If we're going to do that, we need you to volunteer, and we understand that it's uncertain, and there's a lot of things that go into that, but we need volunteers. So please, if you're willing, if, if you ever thought that, hey, maybe I could do this, please reach out to us this week. Reach out to Pastor Mike or the office and let us know. Um, we, we, we're not asking for like a lifetime commitment. Nothing will be signed in blood, no contracts. Uh, maybe a brief background check, but uh, we we do ask you, please, we would love for you to be involved in this, and that 's going to continue happening as we continue rolling out ministries and rebooting the things that we 've done it 's going to require people um, the The six of us can 't do them all on our own, so we we need you to 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 take the step of faith with us and and let 's move forward and see how god will will move in and through us as we try to move uh, into whatever the new reality is going to be for us. Uh, here at First Baptist Church. So I encourage you to reach out to Pastor Mike this week. Uh, Let us know how you might be able to assist us as we try to uh, reboot some of these very essential and vital ministries here at First Baptist Church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention now to his word. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I do thank you for your great love with which you have loved us. Lord, I thank you that though we continue to Uh, question, though we continue to even at times doubt, God, that that you are still faithful. You remain faithful through whatever comes our way, and that you, in fact, are the anchor for our souls. You are the firm foundation upon which we stand. And even in in the midst of uncertainties that cause doubts out in, in what's going on in the world, Lord, we can trust you, knowing that you will follow through for us. God, I pray that that you would work and move in this time according to your plan and purpose, that you would speak to us. Lord, that our ears and, and eyes would be attuned to the movement of your spirit, to the words that you have for us, and that we would hear exactly what we need from you today to move us where you'd have us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a documentary uh, that's available, I, I like documentaries, but there's one in particular that caught my attention not too long ago, uh, it's now on the Disney Plus, but it was on Amazon Prime, and it was all over the place, it was this uh, free solo documentary, have any of you seen that documentary, anybody seen that, Robin, of course, you watched it with me, Robin's like, yep, I sure have, um, <laughs> But the, so, for those of you that apparently is most of you that haven't watched it, the free solo documentary is about this, this guy um, who decided that he, he's, a, he's a free climber. And so, what that means is uh, not that he doesn't pay to climb places, but what it means is that he goes to these different, these different mountains, these different rock faces, these dif- different cliffs, and he, he climbs these ridiculous rock faces with no ropes with no supports. So free climbing, right? It makes sense. Free climbing. He's he's climbing free of any restrictions, free of any support, and he climbs these ridiculous rock faces that you and I would look at and say, that's pretty. People can't climb that. And it's like, oh no, not only do we climb it, but we climb it without safety harnesses. And, and I, so I'm watching this, this movie, right? And it's, it's crazy just listening to him talk about the danger and, you know, as, I don't know how you watch movies, but as I watch movies, I Google statistics, right? So I'm, I'm watching this movie and I'm Googling how many people have tried to free climb this thing and fall into their, to their death, right? Because El, El Capitan, the thing that he's climbing, is in Yosemite National Park, right? It's this, this really big rock face. It is a 3,000-foot uh, vertical rock face, 3,000 foot. To put that in context, because I think about that, I'm like, that's pretty big. But you see it, and you're like, oh, that's not that big. To put that in context, the 3,000 foot vertical rock face of El Capitan is three times the height of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, and two times the height of the Empire State Building in New York. That's big, right? Right? And so I think about that, and as I'm watching the movie, and this guy is talking about his dream of his life, right? That he, he's going to climb these rock faces, particularly this one that no one has done before. He's going to climb it without any, without any ropes. I look at that, and I listen, and I'm like, that is a dumb dream. That is a dumb dream. Like, who, who thinks that? Who, who looks and says, I am going to do this thing that really, like, what is the practical value of that? Like, what what is the net gain other than saying, I did it, right? Like, what, what is the value that, that this man is going to get on the back end of this that would make him want to climb it? I, I watch that, and I see it, and, and I'm seeing this guy do this thing, and as I'm sitting on my couch, I can feel my knees kind of going. I, can't, I can hardly get up to the edge with a fence in front of me and keep my balance, let alone climbing and be looking down like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, but that's his dream, and I'm watching thinking, that's just stupid, that's just stupid, I I wonder how often people hear my dreams, and they think the same thing, they hear the things that I think God has put on my heart, that I'd like to do, and I'm explaining them, and I'm laying them out, and and they're like, that, uh mm uh-huh, and on the outside, they're like, okay, that's great, but inside, they're saying, that's just dumb, why would you want to do that, just keep your feet on the ground. It's perfectly fine right here. Why would you want to climb? Why would you want to fight that battle? Why would you want to do that thing? I think that we see this, this play out in, in, the, in the story of Joseph with his dreams. And I think, I think one of the lessons that, that we learn from Joseph and that we can learn from, from G, dreams in general is that there is a danger to dreaming. There, there is a danger to dreaming. Sometimes it's like when you're climbing a, a, the, you know, the, the, the Empire State Building two times on top of each other, rock face. There's like a physical danger to that. At other times, there's a, there's a social, relational danger involved in our dreams. There's an element of risk. Sometimes it might be a, a financial risk that we have to step out of faith. But dreams, by definition, are us picturing and looking at something that is not or has not been done, something that is different, something that is outside of the normal, and it requires for us to to take this step of faith where we step beyond what is accepted, we step beyond what is normal, we step beyond what is is the common practice, out into the unknown with the hope that it's going to produce X result. And there are certain things that, that we're going to face on that way. We, as we pursue our dreams, there are going to be obstacles, there are going to be issues that are going to, going to, to seek to reroute us or redirect us. And, and we might often look at those things and say, well, this is the end, the dream is dead here. But, but what if what if what we see as the ending of our dream is actually God putting us exactly where we need to be to achieve it? Let's look at the story of Joseph. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 12. Genesis 37, 12 through 36. And it says this, Genesis 37, starting in verse 12. It says, Now Joseph's brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied. So Jacob said to him, go go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, "'What will we gain if we kill our brother?' And cover up his blood. Uh, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother and our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has truly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. No, he said, I will, not, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave so his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So we got this long passage of scripture, but we see the development from what we read last week. We have Joseph has this, these two dreams, right? The, the first dream is that, that these, these bushels of wheat, these, these, these wheat stacks that they've, they've put together, that, that they've all got their own, and Joseph's got one, and the brothers got one, and All of the brother's wheat is bowing to Joseph's. Joseph has a second dream, and all the the sun and the moon and the stars are all bowing to Joseph. And Joseph and his brothers and his father all know what this dream means, that Joseph one day, they don't understand all of the elements of it, but they understand that the function of it, that one day Joseph is going to be this mighty ruler, and his brothers are going to come kneel before him and and submit to his leadership. They're going to, to submit to his rule. And that obviously doesn't go over very well. And in this passage, we see the continuation of that. We see where that that hostility, that jealousy has taken them. We see the the obstacles really begin to develop. And and we see even an ally. And we've got to take note that as we have dreams, there will be adversaries, allies, and obstacles as we pursue God's dreams for us. There will be adversaries, allies, and obstacles as we pursue the dreams God has for us. That's, that's a hard thing. Like, I want to take a moment to really take that in. Because note that two of those things are distinctly negative. We, we don't think that way oftentimes. We think of dreams that God is going to give us the dreams and that we, we, think, we think more the, the, the sea's parting, right? That God's going to give us the dream. He's going to lead us there. And when we come to the sea, the sea's going to part. We're going to miraculously walk through and the army's going to drown behind us. We, we think of the fire falling from heaven. We think, we think of these big things. But how many dreams do we see happening throughout the Bible where, where those miraculous things that mitigate the issues for the dream and move them along in an easy fashion till they have the dream and whoa, here's the dream? How many times do we see that? More often than not, God gives the dream and there is this difficult road that has to be hoed in order to get to what God has for them. We see that happen here with Joseph. No sooner does Joseph have the dream than the dream turns into a nightmare. The dream turns into a nightmare. Now notice what Joseph's doing through all of this, though. I think this is important because Joseph has the dream, but even with the grand dream that Joseph has in his mind of what one day is going to happen, we find as soon as the dream's over that Joseph is simply doing what his father is, has asked of him. That Joseph, as he is moving towards this dream of grandeur, this dream of leadership, and this dream of power and authority, of greatness, that Joseph is still humbly submitting to the will of his father and faithfully serving in the way that he sent him. Verse 12 through 14, we see that Joseph has been sent to the field where his brothers are grazing the sheep. And his task is to survey how they're handling the family business and report back. Now, remember last week, we talked about the the shining coat, the coat of many colors, and we said, well, what this could mean is that Joseph was marked for leadership, that he was given this coat with long sleeves, really ornate, and and you don't go do busy, like, dirty dirty work in this kind of coat, that it's a coat that points that someone has been tagged, that they are going to be a leader someday. But what we see here, the question was, when Joseph went to the field with his brothers at the beginning of chapter 37, was, did Joseph go out to shepherd sheep with with his brothers or did Joseph in fact go out to shepherd his brothers the answer is here that Joseph went out to shepherd his brothers that Joseph is there as a supervisor we see it clearly here Joseph hasn't gone out as they've gone out to to graze the sheep jo- Joseph is still back home doing things with his father and his father says hey Joe I want you to go out and I want you to check out how your brothers are handling the family business how are they handling? Are they, are they dealing rightly? Remember, Joseph has given a bad report at the beginning of the chapter, and Dad says, we got to check it out again. Joseph's in authority. Now, again, don't miss this. Joseph has been given the dream of greater authority, of, of greater position, of greater honor. But Joseph is still, in the meantime, humbly submitting and acting in obedience to his father. And this is a trend that continues throughout Joseph's life. The thing that gets Joseph through, to, to, through the beginning of, of the story, where, where he has the dream, into the difficult, the thing that continues to motivate him and move him forward is that he is faithful in the now. That he's faithful in the now. That, that the, 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 the circumstances and the situations in which Joseph finds himself does not determine his action or his direction. It is the calling of God an obedience to that calling that dictates and determines what Joseph is going to do. For you and I, what that means is that even when the world falls apart, even when everything goes crazy on us, we should still be living faithfully to the word of God. That the situation doesn't dictate or determine that. We do what Jesus has asked us to do, regardless of what's happening in the world around us. We continue being faithful. Our grand dreams do not release us from being faithful and serving God in practical ways where we are right now. Now, something interesting that we would overlook here, because there's a city. Why does it tell us that Joseph is sent to Shechem and then he goes to Dothan? Why even denote that? Why, why do they tell us that, that Joseph goes to the city just to get lost and wander around and for some random dude to say, hey, hey, your brothers are over here now? Why Shechem? Well, Shechem actually holds an important Part, it plays an important role in the, the life and the development of Israel and his sons. If we were to flip back over just a couple of chapters to Genesis chapter 34, we see that Shechem is a site at which the family has a history of bad blood. Both literally and, phys- um, both literally and figuratively for these brothers, that there is bad blood that has taken place at Shechem. Shechem was not just a place it was also a person Shechem had been a man and Shechem, Shechem as, as Israel and his children his brothers and his sons and daughters were going through he takes, he takes note of one of the daughters of Jacob and he wanted, he wanted Dina Dinah, uh, for his wife and he forced himself on her he raped her is what the passage tells us and the brothers are incensed as would we all be Jacob trying to gloss things over, the, the father comes and says, hey, my son has done wrong. He really wants to make her his wife. Can we work this out? And the brothers are like, sure, we can do that. Here's what we need you to do. You all need to become circumcised. You all need to become circumcised. And if you all become circumcised, you will be our brothers, and we will let you marry our sisters and daughters, and, and, and we'll marry your sisters and daughters. And they're like, deal. Like, for those of you that know what circumcision is, circumcision is I'm moving on, right? Like, no, thank you. But they're like, sure, Like, Shechem wants her as a wife, we're going to make this happen. So they do it, they all get circumcised, they have this surgery, and as they're, as they're laying in bed trying to heal, two of the brothers come in and they slaughter all the men. They kill them all in their sleep, and then they subsequently take all of their women and children and valuables back with them as plunder. Now this is important, I, I don't, we need to not miss this, I think this is why Shechem is mentioned. Because note what has happened. This family has a history of treating brothers poorly. That, that sign of, of circumcision w- was to indicate that they were now one of the people. So what they have done is said, here, let us give you this symbol of brotherhood. Let's give you this, let us give you this symbol that makes you one of us. And as soon as they are brothers, they betray them and they kill them. I made that comment to Michaela earlier this week, and Michaela goes, that, that family has a bad pattern going on. She's right. Like, Shechem is telling us, hey, there's something bad coming up. These brothers have treated other brothers poorly in here. This is how family members are treated in the family of Jacob. Beware. Death and slavery are a theme for the brothers, the sons of Jacob. Now, Joseph, they view him as an adversary to be stopped. He goes not far to Dothan. He leaves the field near Shechem and makes his way to Dothan. And it tells us that while he is a, a long way off, the brothers see him and immediately they begin plotting. Just the sight of Joseph, just even seeing him, knowing the audacity of his dreams and knowing that their, his dreams are going to influence and impact their dreams negatively, they want to kill him. And, you know, we, we see that and we're like, well, that's not us. We, we wouldn't do that, but how often do we hear the dreams of others and we react negatively because their dreams are different than ours, or they're bigger than ours, or their dreams dwarf ours, or we just don't like the way that they sound? Because we hear this vision that is not what our vision is, we become frustrated, we become jealous, we become angry. But why? Why? But we see in this passage that Joseph's dream, coupled with daddy's favor, made him a nightmare for the brothers. We can look back and we already know that they can't speak a word of peace to Joseph. Verses 3 and 4. Verse 5 tells us they hated Joseph. And then Joseph gives the dream and it inspires further hatred. And all of these seeds of hatred and discord continue to grow until we get to verse 20 and they say, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Joseph to them is an adversary to be stopped. But these are the, his brothers; these are family. These are should be the people that are closest to them, supporting him, going along with him, trying to find help him find a path to move forward. So often, though, we we do become our own worst enemies, and we become enemies of those that should be our friends because. Their dream and their greatness would make us look less than. Our selfishness becomes an obstacle to our own ability to be allies to those that are closest to us. But Joseph is seen as an adversary to be stopped. We are going to have people that aren't going to like the dreams that God puts on our heart. If we are faithfully following the Lord, if we are listening to his word and we are doing what he asks us to, there are often going to be those that stand in our way. And we ought not be surprised when sometimes it's those that are closest to us. I mean, think about it. Jesus, we, we have no problem talking about the fact that the Pharisees were, were hostile to Jesus. But these were the religious people. These were the people who should have got it. These were the people that were most waiting for him. Those who should have been the most excited, those who should have been most on board, were the most adversarial. And I'd like to submit that sometimes we'll face that in our own lives. We will find adversaries where we should find allies. We need to be ready for that. But what's interesting here is that Joseph finds an ally in the most unlikely of places. It's Reuben, the oldest brother, that steps in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't kill him. Let's rough him up a little bit, sure. A little kid brother, not a big deal. Let's take his coat and throw him in the well, but let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. Reuben, though, is the one who has the most to lose. Historically, the, the oldest brother was the one that, that got the blessing. The oldest brother was the one that got the greatest share of the goods. And Joseph being elevated to the chieftain status, the, the, the chief in waiting, that displaced Reuben from what was his right, not just his dream, his right. And so Joseph's dream should have been the most offensive to Reuben. Reuben has the most reason to want to move Joseph to the side. But Reuben is the one that steps in and says, we need to not kill him. He attempts to, and verse 21 tells us that he attempts to enact a plan to save Joseph and see him safely home. Now, Joseph didn't have the benefit of Genesis. He didn't know that Reuben was trying, it tells us that he suggests out loud to throw him in the cistern and take his coat, but it doesn't tell us that the parenthetical is, now he did this in order to return him to his father. So Joseph has no idea. In Joseph's mind, it seems as if everyone is out to get him, that everyone is against him. Have you ever been in that situation? You got a dream, you got a vision, you're trying to do something, and you're just trying to do what's right. You're trying to move in the direction that you need to go to do what you need to do, and in that moment, it feels like everybody is against you. It's just you against the world. Anyone felt like that? I know that I do sometimes, that there are times where it's like I am all alone and you look throughout the Bible, how, how, like even Elijah, right? Elijah says, I alone am left amongst the prophets. I had a mentor who once told me, though, it's never as good as you'd like it to be, but it's never as bad as you think it is. It's never as good as you'd like it to be, but it's never as bad as you think it is. Everyone is not against you. Everyone is not your adversary. You, you do have allies. Sometimes they may seem unlikely. Sometimes it may be hard to see what's going on, but we've got to trust that the God that's called us, the God that continues to move us forward, the God that placed the dream in our heart, is not, not only is he not going to leave us, not only is he going to come along with us, but that he still has his remnant. There's always a pocket of the people of God, that God, if he called us and he placed the dream on our heart, he will place people in our path that will lift us up, that will hold up our arms, that will help us as we move forward. You are not alone. You will find allies. And Joseph's thrown into the cistern, and it seems he's sold into slavery. It seems like this is an obstacle that's going to stop his dream from happening. But it's only a brief bump in the road, it turns out. It's something for, for him to, to move around. Now, Joseph at the moment, is, this is the end of the world. This obstacle is this terrible thing. It's, it's slowing down my progress. I remember when we, we were teaching Michaela to drive that um, one of the parents was super nervous about that. One of the parents. I'm not going to say any names. Um, but one of the parents was super nervous about riding with, with Michaela and would, would constantly freak out. And, and we, we'd get there and she'd be all freaked out. And Michaela's, Michaela's comment regularly when we would get there would be, but did you die? Like, it was maybe a little bit more circuitous of what you'd like. Maybe we didn't go the exact way. We didn't go the exact speed that you'd like. It may have been a little, I may have braked a little harder than you wanted it sometimes. I may not have used all the turn signals exactly when you wanted me to, the way I should have. I get that. But but did you die? No. You got there. Michaela has a perfect record. She has always gotten us where we were going alive. Kudos for her. But don't we? We see the obstacles and we see those momentary issues. We see the things that that don't go the way that we want them to. And, and we we in those moments think that it's over now. It's not the way that I wanted it to. It's not the direction I thought I was going. It's not the path that I had laid out. And God's like, You're not dead yet. You're still alive. If you're still drawing breath, there is still the potential and promise of God upon you. And God can still accomplish great things. He is still moving you where he wants you to go. It may not feel good in the moment. It may be a little tense. You may be putting your hands on the, oh, crap bar. But God is going to get you where you're going. There's some obstacles. Those obstacles aren't things that, that are going to stop us. And, and just like we talked this week, we're going we're to say it again this week because it's important for us to know. Sometimes what we see as the obstacle that's going to keep us from getting where God would want us to go is actually the redirect that's going to move us and perfectly position us to do what God has called us to do. Joseph is still moving. Now, we do need to see the, the negative here and, and be, be wary of this. I, I think we need to, you know, we, we want to see ourselves as the brother. We want to see ourselves as Joseph, right? We see ourselves, you know, we got these dreams and people just don't get it and they think my dreams are dumb or the, the world is against me or the world is too difficult. There are too many obstacles. And so we want to see ourselves as Joseph pursuing the dream and we want to think, yes, God is going to move me through this. God's going to give me victory. God's going to push me through the other side. But Walk with me for a second here. What if we aren't Joseph? What, what if you and I are the brothers? What if you and I are the ones with the seeds of bitterness and frustration that, that are the unlikely adversaries of those that are trying to move forward around us. I'm not saying we are, but we need to understand something, that seeds of jealousy often grow into destructive acts of self-service. Jealousy often leads to destructive acts of self-service. It's interesting how the brothers, to me, it's interesting how the brothers disguise their act, unspeakable evil, as a kindness Verse 26 and 27, it tells us that that Judas presents a question, and and his question is essentially this. What do we gain? What advantage is gained by us by killing our brother? Nothing is really gained in that. Beyond the the obvious of removing the threat to their own ascension, what do we gain? What do we get out of this if we kill our brother? Then he makes the suggestion and said, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. We, We can at least... Get some coin out of this, boys. Let's not waste an opportunity. We can get some coin out of this. Not only do they remove the threat, but they put some money in their pocket. Finally, he says, hey, he's our brother. He's our blood. We owe him something. What's interesting is Joseph, Jacob's, or, or excuse me, Judah seems to offer this as a win-win proposition. Judah's like. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agree. It's like, hey, we'll do him a kindness. We won't kill him. We'll sell him into slavery, as if slavery has ever been an upgrade. We can't kill him. Let's, we, he's our brother, guys. Let's be nice to him. It's like, it's like the people, I loved it in West Virginia, you knew, you knew in West Virginia that someone was about to say something bad about someone else when they said, well, oh, bless their heart. Like, hey, let's, let's lead with something positive, bless them. Now let me curse them. We, we do that, though. We, we talk positively out of one side of our mouth, but the, the bitterness that, that we allow and we harbor in our hearts sometimes to those that maybe don't think like we do, those that, that don't have the same plan as we do, those that aren't living exactly like we do, we, we begin to harbor these thoughts of bitterness and jealousy, particularly if they are advancing or they're getting something that we think we deserve. We, we see them as a threat and we posture ourselves accordingly. I, I think that's important. Our acts of selfishness inspired by jealousy are rarely without collateral damage to the person we are hurting and also to our own selves, our own integrity, our own souls. We need to be careful not to allow that jealousy to take root in our hearts, that bitterness that comes from from dissent and discord and disunity. Now, I think something interesting that we've got to see here that, that I, for my whole life, I was like this week old when I learned and saw this. Note what happens. They take the garment that Joseph had been wearing. They kill a goat. They dip it in blood, and they take it back to their father, and their father is deceived. This is the prime example of what you sow, you will reap. I don't believe in karma, but I do believe that the evil that we do at some point does come back on us. Think about what happened in Jacob's own life. Remember, Jacob is known as the supplanter, the deceiver. How did, he, how, did he, how did that name become that? Remember, when Jacob was young, he took a garment of his brother's, he slaughtered a goat, and he deceived his father with the goat and the garment. And the family tradition has repeated itself, just as Jacob deceived his father, now Jacob's sons have deceived him with the same basic methodology and the same means. Like father, like son. And again, I'm, I'm brought to the thought of what brought this about. Whether well, these brothers are confronted with the excellence and the aspirations of their brother, And they're incited to anger. And I I have to, I, I see this all the time. I see it in my own soul. I see it in my own life. When I am confronted with the excellence and the aspirations of others, at best, I'm inspired to rise, to try to do likewise. At worst, I'm incited to bitterness and anger. In one case, I will see them as allies that will pull me up. At the worst, I will see them as enemies that I need to tear down because they're making me look bad. And too often, I think that we are like the brothers. That we see the plans and the priorities and the dreams that God has maybe laid on someone else's heart. We see the benefits and, and the good things that God is bringing about in the lives of others. We see their good actions and we see that as a threat. And rather than being inspired to rise up and do likewise, we seek to tear them down. Rather than trying to, to do what is right in order to make ourselves on a, put ourselves on a plane with them because what we have done is of such quality. We try to tear them down so that we can walk over them. May we not be like the brothers. May we not allow the seeds of jealousy to grow in our heart. May we not allow them to lead to acts of self-service. Instead, may we seek to lift up those that are trying to pursue the Lord, those that are living and doing excellent things. May we not be afraid to align ourselves with people that are maybe more gifted, maybe more talented, maybe maybe more mature than us. Rather, may we align ourselves with them so that they might assist us and we might assist them and that we might move forward together. Verse 36, though, brings this all together. It says, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Sometimes what we see as the end of our dream is actually the beginning. We would be tempted to think, and we could understand if Joseph himself were to think this, that being sold into slavery, that is the antithesis to, to rising up in leadership, is it not? Joseph is now literally below the lowest. He is a slave in the house of Potiphar, but his dream is that he is going to be a ruler the untrained eye, we would look at this, and if we didn't know the rest of the story, if we didn't know the spoilers that were coming ahead, we would think this is the end, the game is over, the dream is ruined, and we would understand Joseph believing that himself. But the truth is, understanding the, the details of the vision, that, that, that wheat wasn't something that they, they used as, as shepherds. that The stars and moon weren't big symbols for them, but they were in Egypt. That God has now put Joseph in a place where the pieces of his vision actually make sense. Now, his position might not be what it needs to be to ultimately achieve the dream, but his position is proper for him to eventually move into the right place. What appeared to be the end of Joseph's dream was actually the vehicle God used to get him to them. This is going to be a recurring theme in the life of Joseph. Might we, in our own lives, be looking at the situations and struggles in the wrong light? You know, hindsight, they tell us, is 2020. How appropriate is that for the year 2020? That hindsight is 2020. Right now, everything seems so foggy. It's hard to understand what's going on and what it is ultimately going to mean and and how can this possibly be used for the betterment of society, for the betterment of our church, for the betterment of our families. It's hard to see at times what God is doing in the midst of the struggles that we find ourselves in, but God does in fact have a purpose and a plan. He is always moving, and at times he's using those situations and struggles to move us. Perhaps God is redirecting us as a church, Perhaps God is redirecting and moving us as individuals so that he might position us perfectly to do and be what he's calling us to. Our job is to be faithful, to hold on to the faith in the now, to trust that he will handle our adversaries, that he will provide us with needed allies, and that he won't allow the obstacles to keep us from where we need to go. You know, often we pray, God, please, please keep us safe. God, please remove the difficulty. I'm, maybe, we, maybe that's the wrong prayer. Maybe the prayer should be, God, keep us faithful. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to, to follow you through the difficulty. Help us to trust you. The truth is that there will be nightmares that will confront us. <clears throat> There will be fears to be faced as we follow the Lord into the future. There will be dangers in our dreaming. But may we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the only author and perfecter of our faith. And may we follow him above all else through all struggles, through all successes, believing that he will move us to where he wants us and that in his time, In his power, he will bring about exactly what he has promised to us. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. I thank you for your great love that you have offered to us. I thank you for your calling and your promise. Lord, I pray today that you would stir in us faith to be faithful. That you would remind us of your sacrifice, even in the midst of our struggle. That you would remind us of the strength that you are providing in and through us. Through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. God, may we not be those that are jealous and bitter when we don't understand or when we aren't receiving what we think we deserve. Rather, rather may we trust you and seek your face. May we, we seek to love as you loved and serve as you served. May we be faithful to your calling and leave the achieving of what comes next in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you should have, as you entered, received a communion cup. Uh, If you didn't receive one, please raise your hand, and one of our deacons will bring you one. Looks like we're good. So go ahead and take that, and if you open the very top clear portion, that'll take you to the bread. Scripture tells us that on the night that Christ was betrayed, on the night that one of his brothers sold him down the river for some silver, The Bible tells us that Christ took bread. That when he'd given thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. My brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, broken for us. The scripture tells us that in the same way, Christ took the cup and he offered it to his disciples saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it as often as you do it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth in these actions, for the truth in these elements. Lord, we thank you for your blood, which you so freely shed for us on your cross. We thank you for your sacrifice that not only provides us with salvation, but provides us with an example, a model to follow in our own service. God, may we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Understanding that it's our reasonable act of service in light of your sacrifice for us. God, continue to speak to us in these moments. Remind us of the wonder and beauty of your love to us in and through the work and person of Jesus Christ. Through his death on the cross and the hope of his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.